Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we'll go over the topic of carbon monoxide poisoning from the pulmonary section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 35-year-old painter presents to the emergency room for nausea, vomiting, and a headache. He reports that a large vat of paint thinner had spilled and he had spent the afternoon cleaning it up. While at the time he felt fine, an hour after he finished, he started experiencing these symptoms. On physical exam, he is oriented to self and place, but not the year. He is tachycardic with a pulse of 112 per minute. Pulse oximetry reveals an oxygen saturation of 96% on room air. A carbon monoxide oximetry shows a carboxyhemoglobin level of 23%. He has started on 100% oxygen. A lactic acid level is drawn to assess for concomitant cyanide poisoning. Now, let's get into the episode. As a quick introduction, carbon monoxide poisoning results from exposure to carbon monoxide resulting in hypoxia. In terms of epidemiology, as far as incidence, carbon monoxide poisoning is the leading cause of death from unintentional poisoning and is common in patients working in industrialized settings. Risk factors include use of charcoal, gas, or petroleum, wood-burning heaters, cooking in poorly ventilated areas, building fires, smoke inhalation, motor vehicle exhaust, and exposure to methylene chloride or paint thinners, as this is metabolized into carbon monoxide and can lead to delayed carbon monoxide poisoning. As far as the pathogenesis of carbon monoxide poisoning, the mechanism involves displacement of oxygen from hemoglobin, which causes a left shift of the oxygen hemoglobin curve, leading to decreased delivery of oxygen to tissues. Know that carbon monoxide binds to cytochrome oxidase and disrupts the electron transport chain. It also increases lipid peroxidation in the central nervous system. Associated conditions with carbon monoxide poisoning include cyanide poisoning. As far as prognosis, carbon monoxide poisoning is worse with very young or very old age and is worse with prolonged or intentional exposures. As far as the presentation of carbon monoxide poisoning, symptoms include headache, lightheadedness, nausea and vomiting, as well as improvement when removed from the exposure. Physical exam may reveal normal pulse oximetry, tachycardia, dyspnea, altered mental status, specifically confusion, and cherry red skin, which may be a late finding of carbon monoxide poisoning. As far as studies to obtain in the workup of carbon monoxide poisoning, in terms of diagnostic testing, studies include pulse oximetry, where you will typically have a normal oxygen saturation level, increased carboxyhemoglobin levels, which must be assessed before supplemental oxygen is administered. Patients should undergo an arterial blood gas, a venous blood gas, and should also have a portable carbon monoxide oximetry device, not a regular pulse oximetry. Note that increased carboxyhemoglobin levels are greater than 3% for non-smokers and greater than 9% for smokers. Patients with carbon monoxide poisoning may also have an increase in lactic acid, which will cause decreased delivery of oxygen to tissues, and patients may also have an increased troponin, as carbon monoxide poisoning may cause myocardial injury due to relative hypoxemia. Making the diagnosis of carbon monoxide poisoning is based on clinical presentation and laboratory studies, such as carboxyhemoglobin levels of greater than 20%. The differential diagnosis for carbon monoxide poisoning is cyanide poisoning, and the distinguishing factor between cyanide poisoning and carbon monoxide poisoning is that cyanide poisoning will have increased lactic acid, and these patients do not respond to oxygen therapy. As far as the treatment of carbon monoxide poisoning, the management approach should be to remove all sources of carbon monoxide from the patient. It should also include 100% oxygen or hyperbaric oxygen. So first-line therapy is 100% oxygen to displace carbon monoxide from hemoglobin. 
This also decreases the half-life of carbon monoxide in most patients from 4 to 5 hours to 1 hour. It also decreases the half-life of carbon monoxide from methylene chloride from 13 hours to 6 hours. Second-line management is hyperbaric oxygen, which is indicated in the setting of neurological deficits, pregnant women, children, elderly patients, significantly elevated carboxyhemoglobin levels, and when methylene chloride is the cause of carbon monoxide poisoning. Complications of carbon monoxide poisoning include myocarditis and acute respiratory distress syndrome. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A 52-year-old man presents to the clinic with a headache and dizziness for the past month. The patient reports that about four weeks ago, he developed a nagging headache. He thought he had a cold, so he tried over-the-counter ibuprofen that provided only mild and temporary relief. Recently, he also started feeling dizzy and nauseous, which only resolves when he steps outside to shovel the snow. The patient's medical history is significant for hypertension, type 2 diabetes mellitus, and asthma. His medications include amlodipine, metformin, glimepiride, and a fluticasone-slash-salmeterol inhaler. The patient has been living at his upstate cabin for the past five weeks but denies other recent travel. He denies smoking tobacco or illicit drug use. The patient's temperature is 99 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.2 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 130 over 78 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 72 per minute. And respirations are 16 per minute with an oxygen saturation of 98% on room air. The patient is currently asymptomatic while sitting in the office and physical examination is unremarkable. Labs are drawn and are as follows. Hemoglobin is 20 grams per deciliter. Hematocrit is 60%. Leukocyte count is 10,050 cells per cubic millimeter with a normal differential. And platelet count is 350,000 per cubic millimeter. Which of the following underlies the patient's most likely diagnosis? And the choices are 1. Medication side effect. 2. Myeloproliferative neoplasm. 3. Neuronal hyperexcitability. 4. Toxic exposure and 5. Viral Infection. The correct answer to this question is 4. Toxic Exposure. So the patient is presenting with headache, dizziness, and polycythemia, typically with exposure to a wood-burning stove, and this is likely due to toxic exposure to carbon monoxide. To quickly review, carbon monoxide is an odorless, colorless, and tasteless toxic gas. Patients often present with a history of exposure to wood-burning stoves, automobile exhaust, or smoke inhalation. Symptoms include headache, nausea, dizziness, confusion, myalgia, and cherry red skin, which is rare, which often resolves once removed from the exposure, for example, going outside. Carbon monoxide has a higher affinity for hemoglobin than oxygen does, but paradoxically, oxygen saturation usually remains normal, despite the actual oxygen content being low on pulse oximetry. The body tries to compensate by increasing hemoglobin, causing profound polycythemia. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, medication side effects caused by the current medications the patient is taking would not account for all of his presenting symptoms. Amlodipine may cause peripheral edema, pulmonary edema, flushing slash dizziness, reflex tachycardia, and gingival hyperplasia. Sulfonylureas can cause a disulfiram-like reaction with alcohol, for example flushing, headache, vertigo, nausea, sweating, palpation, hyperventilation, etc., and metformin can cause gastrointestinal symptoms and lactic acidosis. Answer 2, myeloproliferative neoplasm is also incorrect. 
Polycythemia rubravira is a myeloproliferative neoplasm primarily characterized by increased production of erythrocytes. It presents in patients during their 60s and 70s with headache, visual disturbances, hypertension, thrombosis, bleeding, pruritus exacerbated by hot water, and hepatosplenomegaly. A complete blood count will show an elevated hemoglobin, hematocrit, and possibly leukocytosis and thrombocytosis. Answer 3. Neuronal hyperexcitability is incorrect, as this is thought to be part of the complex pathophysiology of migraines. Migraines are a primary headache disorder that can occur episodically. The headache is characterized as pulsating slash throbbing and is often unilateral, lasts 4 to 72 hours, and can be accompanied by nausea slash vomiting, photophobia, and possibly aura. Finally, answer 5. Viral infection, such as the common cold, for example rhinovirus and coronavirus, or influenza, presents as headache, fever, rhinorrhea, myalgias, and malaise. It would not explain the polycythemia. To leave you with a bullet summary, carbon monoxide poisoning presents with headache and dizziness slash nausea that are intermittent, for example, resolved when removed from the exposure, as well as polycythemia. And moving on to the final question. A 23-year-old woman who is 18 weeks pregnant presents to the emergency department with a headache and blurry vision. She has a history of pulmonary embolism and obesity. She has had these symptoms for the past several weeks, but notes that her symptoms get better after she leaves for work. She has been unable to see a neurologist for these symptoms as she cannot afford health insurance. She states her symptoms are notably worse over the weekend, and this Sunday evening, she could not tolerate them anymore. Her temperature is 99.2 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.3 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 110 over 75 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 112 per minute. Respirations are 22 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 100% on room air. Physical exam reveals cranial nerves are grossly intact with normal strength sensation throughout and a mildly ataxic gait. Her symptoms have been improving slightly since arriving to the hospital. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? And the choices are 1. 100% oxygen by non-rebreather. 2. Hydroxocobalamin. 3. Hyperbaric oxygen. 4. Magnesium sulfate and 5. Magnetic Resonance Venography, or MRV, of the brain. The correct answer to this question is 3. Hyperbaric Oxygen. So this pregnant patient is presenting with a headache and blurry vision that only occurs when the patient is at home, thus why it is worse after the weekend and improves when the patient is at work, which is highly concerning for carbon monoxide poisoning. Given that she is pregnant with neurologic symptoms like blurry vision, ataxia, and headache, she should be treated with hyperbaric oxygen. To quickly review, carbon monoxide poisoning occurs in patients who are exposed to fires or in patients who heat their houses with old-fashioned wood-burning stoves. Chronic exposure classically presents with a history of headache-slash-dizziness or symptoms that occur only when the patient is at home and is relieved when the patient is not at home. The management of carbon monoxide poisoning is the administration of oxygen. The extent of exposure can be measured with a carboxyhemoglobin level. Oxygen via non-rebreather is sufficient for most patients except those who are elderly, pregnant, who have neurological deficits like blurry vision or cranial nerve palsies, or significantly elevated carboxyhemoglobin levels. In these patients, treatment is hyperbaric oxygen. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, 100% oxygen by non-rebreather is an appropriate treatment for carbon monoxide poisoning. However, patients with neurologic symptoms at any carboxyhemoglobin level, pregnant patients, and the elderly at a lower carboxyhemoglobin level than the general population require treatment with hyperbaric oxygen. 
Answer two, hydroxocobalamin is incorrect, as this is the appropriate treatment of cyanide poisoning, which is common after exposure to industrial fires and presents with a profound lactic acidosis that does not respond to oxygen fluids and an almond scent on the patient. Hydroxocobalamin binds to cyanide and makes cyanocobalamin, which is non-toxic. Answer four, magnesium sulfate is incorrect, as this is the appropriate treatment of preeclampsia, which presents with hypertension, proteinuria, and signs of decreased end organ perfusion, such as headaches, blurry vision, and abdominal pain. This patient's gestation at less than 20 weeks and normal blood pressure makes this less likely. And finally, answer five, MRV of the brain is incorrect, as this is the appropriate diagnostic test for cavernous sinus thrombosis, which occurs in hypercoagulable states, such as pregnancy, and presents with a headache, blurry vision, and paralysis of extraocular motions. An MRV images the veins in the brain and can confirm the diagnosis, which may require treatment with heparin and antibiotics. To leave you with the bullet summary, the treatment of carbon monoxide poisoning in the elderly and pregnant patients for which there is a lower carboxyhemoglobin threshold to treat, those with significantly elevated carboxyhemoglobin levels, and those with neurological deficits is hyperbaric oxygen. That's all for this review about carbon monoxide poisoning. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.